Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody, Mike here, and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. I'm your host, Mike Moynihan. It's going to be solo this week, me by myself, and I'm going to do a really cool little series I'm starting today. It's going to be a two-part series, and I wanted to just spend some time talking about vintage players that I think are really underrated and underappreciated in the hobby. I know that seems like a topic that might be like silly because isn't everything going up in the hobby nowadays? And yeah, that's kind of true. But I still think there are some players out there that don't get the hobby love that I think they deserve based on their careers and what they did in baseball, et cetera. This can be all baseball players, obviously. And, you know, I've broken down into, you know, two kind of categories. I've got the guys that are primarily, you know, 40s and 50s, and then guys that are primarily 60s and 70s. And so this week's going to be the guys, the early guys, the 40s and 50s guys. And, you know, I'm not trying to say here at all that this is an exhaustive list of these players. By any means, you could certainly make a case for to add people to this. But I just thought I'd come up with some guys that, in my opinion, uh, deserve a little bit more hobby love for everybody out there that's listening on the podcast and whatnot. I'm sorry. I didn't do an episode last week. You know, uh, it was just one of those crazy life weeks that kept me from being able to allocate the time necessary to do a really high quality job on my podcast and, uh, had issues with cars breaking down and, broken pipes here in Texas. We had some really crazy, unusual weather, very, uh, abnormal cold here and our infrastructure and systems are not just simply not used to being able to handle that. And therefore, uh, had some, some issues come up with that, uh, son's radiator froze on his Jeep and had to get that replaced, busted a pipe out at our ranch. And so, uh, just lots of fun stuff that I, I, get, I get to deal with and, and still dealing with, by the way, uh, the broken pipe thing is still not taken care of. And it's weeks. I'm telling you weeks to get a plumber because so many people had similar issues, but it's all, you know, end of the day, none of it. It's just stuff. It's just stuff that needs to get fixed and taken care of. And that's going to all get taken care of. But I'm, uh, I apologize to everybody that I didn't do an episode last week. But hopefully this little series will be fun for everybody. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. So, oh man, in deciding how to pick these players of who I thought was undervalued slash underrated, I literally just went through a list of Hall of Famers and said, yeah, I think that person is or that that person's already, you know, got a lot of love or whatever. 
it, it, to me, there's kind of three tiers of Hall of Famers. There's the inner circle kind of Hall of Famers, the no doubter guys, Hank Aaron. And I'm thinking of just vintage guys, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Sandy Koufax, those kind of players, Nolan Ryan. Then there's kind of a, a lower tier. Um, and again, they're Hall of Famers. So it's, I'm not trying to belittle their career and their accomplishments, but to be honest, not everybody, you know, the mainly it's pitchers, you know, Raleigh fingers, goose Gossage, uh, Lee Smith and Don Sutton and those kinds of guys that are just kind of thought as again, being a lesser hall of famer is by no means a bad thing. I'd rather be a lesser hall of famer than not a hall of famer, but and then you've got kind of this middle group, this middle tier of players that I think certainly have some hobby love. They're not uh, that third tier, but at the same time, I just look and I go, man, I can't believe their stuff isn't as high priced as I would think it would be. So let's get into the list and let's just start going through these players for the 50s, 40s, 50s guys. I've got nine guys I'm going to talk about. And what I'm going to do is break it down into a few things. We'll talk about their career just a little bit, maybe uh, talk about their rookie card and how it's going, what their last tops card is, look at some, you know, autograph stuff, and then talk about something else that I think is also highly overlooked in our hobby. So the first player I want to talk about today is Richie Ashburn. And Ashburn's career lasted from 1948 until 1962, mainly known for being a Philadelphia Philly guy. He finished out his career with the Mets and just one of those players that I think is highly overlooked. He was a broadcaster for years and years and years after his playing days. His rookie card is 1949 Bowman. It's a beautiful red card. I don't own it, actually. That's one of the few of the cards that we're going to talk about over the next two weeks that I don't own. I don't have that one. Something I really want to get. And when I look at a rookie card, everybody would love to have the highest grade, you know, I'd love an eight or a nine or whatever in all of these rookie cards, but they're just simply out of most people's price ranges. And so what I looked at for each of these rookie cards that I'm going to talk about today is their what I call their collector grade. Um, rookie card. And to me, a collector grade is a numerical assigned grade equal to the decade in which the card was issued. So for Richie Ashburn, in his case, 1949, I'd be looking at collector grade as a four. And so I went to VCP, uh, vintagecardprices.com. By the way, if you use vintage card prices or want to use it or have thought about using it, if you sign up for an annual subscription and you use the promo code BENCHCLEAR, when you sign up and pay for an annual subscription, you'll get a 13th month for the price of 12. And that's just at vintagecardprices.com. So I, I love it. I found it to be incredibly helpful. It helps me do research. It helps me do all sorts of stuff and look up card prices and you name it. So really enjoy that. So vintagecardprices.com, check it out if you want. And then, so I looked all these up in, on VCP as I was doing my research to get ready for this show. And you know, no rookie card is cheap nowadays. I mean, let's just be honest. There's very few that I would consider to be cheap. Uh, but at the same time, some of them haven't really seen the meteoric rise and frenzy around them, such as Hank Aaron and 
obviously Hank Aaron passed away. Bob Gibson seen a huge surge. Koufax, some of them have have seen a, a surge. In fact, a couple of them I'll talk about have on their rookie cards. But again, by and large, these guys are I think underappreciated. So, forty nine Bowman, rookie for Richie Ashburn. You can get a four for around five hundred bucks, give or take. Again, not cheap, cheap, but certainly not crazy expensive either. His last tops card is nineteen sixty three tops, actually. Um, and so all of his cards from, you know, 49 Bowman all the way to 63 tops, he's got some great cards. You can find all kinds of things within that uh, to pick up stuff of these players. And when I suggest that they're underrated and undervalued in the hobby, I'm not saying you have to go get a rookie card or whatever. Just, just look at these players. And if you can learn about them and appreciate what they've done, then, you know, maybe pick up a few things. Certainly doesn't have to be a rookie card, but terms of autographs, Richie Ashburn is, I would, I categorize the autographs as easy, medium and hard in terms of availability and price. I kind of looked at all of it together and Richie Ashburn kind of falls in that medium category. He has a lot of autographs, but his stuff can be, uh, you know, medium in terms of cost. And so, but they're out there. You can certainly find them. Wouldn't, shouldn't be a problem. And then there's another area of the hobby that I've been noticing a lot lately because I've watched some other videos of people on YouTube and I've been like, you know, I think an, a forgotten area of collecting Hall of Famers and whatnot is the relic card. Relic cards have become so blase. They're so readily available and all of this stuff that I think they just be, have become completely forgotten. And I think relic cards are really cool because it gives you a piece of either a bat or a jersey or pants or something that that player actually used most of the time, right? There's a lot of people that question the reliability of whether or not these items were actually used or worn by these players. And, I, you know, that scrutiny might be well justified, but I think in most cases, it's probably legit stuff. And to get an item like that, that has something different than just maybe a base card or something like that. You can, especially the vintage guys, right? Modern guys, you know, I, I get why people have really just forgotten about relic cards. They just don't care about them anymore. They're like, eh, cause he may have worn it for two seconds, taken it off and they chop up the Jersey and put it in a card and call it, you know, player worn or whatever. But a lot of these old, older players, their relic cards are, usually from game used uniforms. And so I just think that's a cool way to maybe collect some of these players. And me personally, I try to have like, if, if you were to say any hall of fame player, I want to have their rookie card. I want to have their last tops card. I want to have at least one autograph, maybe several of that player. And I want a relic card of that player. And to me, that kind of runs the full spectrum of having a Hall of Fame player. Um, obviously, if they have any Perez Steel stuff or things like that, I'm going to get those on top of. But all of those things to me kind of make a full collection for a vintage player. But that doesn't mean it has to for you. You can collect whatever you want. But I'm just trying to give you a bunch of different ideas and how to think about this. So that's player number one. We got eight more to go through. So I'm gonna. I did a lot of explaining with Richie Ashburn because he's the first one, but the rest of them should go pretty smoothly. The second guy I want to talk about is Ernie Banks, and Ernie Banks 
lifelong cub, Mr. Cub, to be exact, known as Mr. Cub. His career ran from 1953 through 1971. His first, uh, his rookie card is 1954 Tops, that beautiful white card. Uh, very easy, 54 Tops, notoriously off-center. Uh, so very easy to find that miscut and just off-center. That's one of the cards that has actually seen an amazing uptick and surge during the last few months of the hobby. I mean, his 54 tops rookie card in a five, which would be a collector grade is going for 2,900 bucks or so. So definitely not cheap anymore. Uh, I have that card in a four and I'm glad to have it. I've owned it for several years now. Uh, bought it at the national actually in Cleveland a couple of years ago. Uh, his last tops card is 1971 tops, which is an amazing, awesome card. It's uh, part of the 300 great cards of the 20th century by Mike Payne. He's got that awesome Ernie Banks smile, the black borders of the 71 tops. Great, great card. And so, and then everything in between lots of all-star cards, lots of great stuff you can pick up for Ernie Banks. But I think overall, other than his rookie card, the rest of his stuff is kind of underappreciated for one of the greatest shortstops of all time. Uh, 500 home runs, Hall of Famer, first, you know, one of those guys, just great guy, great player. His autographs are incredibly easy to get. Uh, there's tons of them out there and are reasonably inexpensive. You're talking 30 to 40 bucks for an autograph of Willie Mays, I mean, Willie Mays, of Ernie Banks. And relic cards for him are super easy to find as well. That's actually true of all of these players, other than the next guy. Finding relic cards of them is not a problem at all. And you have to decide, do I want bats or uh, jerseys, you know, some type of uniform, whatever, both, <laughs> whatever you want to do. Third guy I want to talk about is a guy I've talked about before is, I've, is me thinking he's underappreciated, undervalued, and that's Roy Campanella. Roy Campanella played in the majors from 48 to 57. He is just, I think, one of the greatest catchers of all time and very, very underappreciated. His rookie card is finally starting to gain some steam in the hobby. Uh, PSA 4, which because his rookie card is 1949 Bowman as well. There's several of these guys that 49 Bowman is their rookie cards. Campanella is one of them. It's about 850 bucks for a 4 in that card. And his last tops card is 1957 tops, which is another great card. Uh, practice batting pose that Campanella has. His autographs are really tough, actually, because uh, he has two types of autographs. He has a pre-accident autograph and a post-accident autograph. His pre-accident autographs are much more sought after because it's a much cleaner autograph. After his accident, when he was paralyzed and his career was cut short, his autographs got very uh, sketchy because he would use almost it was mechanically aided essentially to be able to sign his name because he was paralyzed and he had a difficult time moving his arms. So they're, they're very difficult. Any, any way you stretch those pre-accident ones are super hard to find and super sought after and, and expensive for sure. His relic cards are kind of in that medium range, mainly because of his short career. He doesn't have a ton of stuff out there that's game used that could be used for relic cards. And so, his relic cards are a little bit harder to come by, but not impossible, just not easy, you know, like a lot of these other players. 
Next guy uh, is there's a couple of pitchers on this list that I've been talking with other guys and these two, the two pitchers I'm going to talk about one next and one later down the road down the episode are guys that I talk about all the time. And I hear all the time guys that are underrated in the hobby. The first one is Bob Feller. Bob Feller, lifelong Cleveland Indian played from 1936 to 1956. Uh, just, unbelievable pitcher in his I mean in his time he was perhaps the best pitcher in the league uh especially during the 30s late 30s and 40s just unbelievable his rookie card which is so there's two ways to look at his rookie card he's got a 38 Gaudi which is kind of that heads up it's like a big head card there's two different versions of that they're not cheap 900 bucks for a three in that card, that's if you can find them. They're they're harder to find. A lot of people look at his late 40s cards as his real rookie cards. I don't. I think the 38 Gaudi is. So that's what I used. And uh, yeah, but it's going to be 900 bucks to a thousand bucks, something like that, for that 38 Gaudi if you can find it. Again, it's it's tougher to find. And then his last tops card is 56 tops. Great set, great card. So he's got a lot of cards from. 56 back through, you know, 49, but not much before that, really. Uh, so not a lot of stuff to click. If you want to click the whole fella run, you, you don't have to go get a ton of cards. His autos are incredibly easy to get. I mean, he was one of those guys that signed everything and signed all the time. And so finding his stuff is incredibly simple. You can get it on darn near anything you want. Uh, he signed everything, even if it was a paper napkin put in front of him, and which is great. Uh, it's awesome because that makes it reasonably inexpensive. And then he's got a ton of relic cards out there. So those are easy to get as well. The next guy I want to talk about is Monty Irvin. Monty Irvin, one of those guys, he only played in the majors from 49 to 56. Uh, Negro leaguer before that, but a really, really great player. Uh, unbelievably good player played with Willie Mays and, you know, with the Giants and ended up playing, I think for the Cubs and trying to think who else did he play for. I know his last card is 56 tops, which he's pictured on the Cubs in that card. His rookie cards, he's got two of them. You can do a 51 tops or a 51 Bowman. I looked at the Bowman just because I think that's a really cool image of him. And it's uh, about 250 bucks for a five which is really not that crazy. Honestly, that's not terrible. And I'm looking at sold listings, by the way. So that's, I'm not looking at buy it nows. It, there's plenty of buy it nows on all these cards that are higher than what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm looking at recent sales. And uh, so that's not crazy, you know, for his rookie card. Autos for Monty Irvin. Again, he was a great TTM signer, signed through the mail like crazy. Uh, so for years and years and years. So his autograph is very easy to get his there's surprisingly uh, quite a few uh, relic cards of him as well. So there's Monty Irvin. Next up is, man, I've been saying this for a long time that Stan Musial is incredibly underrated in the hobby. I don't know that he's underrated in baseball history, but he doesn't get talked about the same way that some of the others got other guys do that are from his same era, even though his accomplishments on the field dwarfed a lot of theirs. 
he was unbelievable, Stan Musial. Stan the man, Mr. Cardinal, uh, played his whole career with the St. Louis Cardinals. Career spanned from 1941 to 1963, so really long career. His first rookie cards are really 1948 Bowman and Leaf. Uh, the leaf card is just gorgeous. It's got a blue background. It's a, you know, swinging pose, you know, follow through kind of thing. Unbelievable card. I would love to have that card. His 48 Bowman is just a portrait, black and white portrait, much simpler and easier to obtain. So I use that. But at the, even though it's easier to obtain, even a PSA four for the 48 Bowman is about $1,500 now. So it's, it's kind of crept up there. Uh, it's pretty much doubled in the last six months or so. And, you know, that's probably due to just rising tides, lifting all boats in the hobby. Last card for Musial is the 63 Tops. Just like Bob Feller, too, his autographs are incredibly easy to find. He signed like crazy. There's literally thousands and thousands of stickers that are that he signed before he passed away that his family has sold off to Leaf and other different companies to put on just about anything you can imagine. His autographs are, again, very easy to get and, and reasonably inexpensive. And got he's also got tons of relic cards out there. Next up is Pee Wee Reese. Pee Wee Reese is one of those guys that I think gets overlooked a lot because of those great Dodger teams uh, from the 40s and 50s. You know, because you, you had Jackie Robinson, you had uh, on that team, on those teams, you had Roy Campanella for a lot of those years. And so I think Reese just gets overlooked. He gets, you think about the Dodgers, you think about Jackie, you know, that kind of thing. And Pee Wee Reese was a great player, great shortstop uh, leader of that team, really, I think. His rookie card is actually 1941 play ball. And that's a really tough card. Uh, tough to find, tough to find in decent grade. Even in a four on that card, you're looking at $800. So it's not cheap either. Uh, but the rest of his cards are pretty inexpensive, especially when you get into the, the top stuff. He has tops cards from... I want to say 52 to 58. He's got Bowman cards in there and all kinds of stuff. So he's, he's pretty, he's got a lot of cards in there. They're all great. Uh, his 53 Bowman card, 53 Bowman color might be the greatest baseball card ever created. In my opinion, I just love it. The jumping and throwing pose at second base, turning a double play to me, is just the most aesthetically pleasing, beautiful baseball card I've ever seen. And again, proud to own one of those in a lower grade, but just glad to have it. His autographs for Pee Wee are, I would call them medium. Uh, they are not, there's a lot of them out there, but he's not cheap, cheap. Uh, he's not, you know, 20 to 30 bucks. Sometimes you can find stuff that inexpensively, but he's going to cost you a little bit more in the $50 range, I would say. But he has a lot of relic cards as well. So those are easy to get. Um, yeah. So there's Pee Wee Reese. Two more to go. Uh, the next one is Pee Wee Reese's teammate, and that's Duke Snyder. Duke Snyder's career, 47 to 1964. He is one of those guys that I think during that heyday of baseball in the 50s, New York City, you had the Giants, you had the Yankees, and you had the Dodgers. All three were really competitive, great teams. There was, I think, a, a team from New York in the World Series damn near every year in the 50s. 
So Snyder is always talked about in the same breath as Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays, Willie, Mickey, and the Duke, right? It's a song for crying out loud. So unfortunately, I think he's looked at the, at the, as the lesser of those three. And honestly, he should be, he wasn't, he didn't have as great a career as Mantle. He didn't have as great a career as Mays. He wasn't as personable and likable as Mantle. He was kind of a sullen guy, very, you know, doing his business and taking care of business kind of guy, but another great player, uh, just, but they, again, the Dodgers were packed with great players. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, his rookie, by the way, is 49 Bowman Duke Snyder. That it's got a, almost an orange background to it. Portrait shot, not nothing terribly crazy cool about it. It's just, it's his rookie card and it, it goes in a four for about 900 bucks. That's what you're going to be paying for that. So again, none of these are like, I'm not trying to say other than Monty Irvin so far, none of them are crazy cheap, but uh, that, that's, I think all rookie cards are just facing increased prices due to the hobby explosion. Snyder's last card is 1964 tops. Uh, I think he's with the Mets. Then he moved over to the Mets, like Mets when the Mets started up in 62, I guess it was they, you know, Richie Ashburn, Duke Snyder, and they, Casey Stingle was their manager. I think it was like this resurrection of some people's careers uh, to kind of play out the string. But 64 tops is his last card. He's got autos galore out there. Duke Snyder, tons of stuff signed, all kinds of mediums, you name it, whatever you want, you can get of Duke Snyder. And he has a lots, of, lots of relic cards as well, like most of these players do. All right, last player that I want to talk about today is Warren Spawn. He's that second pitcher that when I bring up underappreciated, undervalued players, Bob Feller and Warren Spawn get brought up all the time. And I've talked about it as well on my videos and things. Warren Spawn, 363 wins. One of the winningest left-handed pitchers of all time. Unbelievable uh, for the Braves, most of his career. And again, he was on a team with Eddie Matthews and Hank Aaron and, you know, uh, but it was spawn and sane and pray for rain, right? Those with those Braves teams, he was with them in Boston and then Milwaukee when they moved to Milwaukee. His rookie cards, uh, he's got two of them 48 Bowman, 48 Leaf. So anybody kind of in that period, you're going to see, even though he started his career in 42, his first card wasn't till 48, which I always find funny because does that mean it's really a rookie card? I mean, the guy's been playing for six years. But technically, I guess it is. It's his first card. You know, that's a rookie card, not necessarily during their rookie year, but their first card is a rookie card. So that was for a lot of these guys, again, in that when 48 Bowman and 48 Leafs, 49 Leaf, however, whatever year you want to call it, started coming out. So I look at his 48 Bowman just because it's in a four, you can get it for around 300 bucks. You know, again, for a lot of people, that's a lot of money and it is, but it's not crazy. $300, uh, pretty reasonable. His last card is 1965 tops. Again, he was with the Mets, ironically. Uh, he and uh, Yogi Berra were both with the Mets. Both of their cards, ironically, with the Mets in 65, say, like Spawn says, pitcher, coach. And uh, Yogi says, catcher, coach, slash coach. So I think they were both uh, helping coach the team and all that back then. But 65 tops. Spawn has a lot of great cards all through the 50s. 
and and 60s so there's tons of spawn stuff out there that you can go get if you want to pick up a few cards of that player he's got tons and tons of autographs out there as well a lot of these same guys from this era like i said just they were just used to signing a lot it was it was normal and they did the show circuit and they did through the mail autographs and everything so there's just a lot of their stuff out there and he has tons of relic cards as well so that's the nine guys that I really wanted to talk about in this part one of this two-part series on underappreciated and undervalued vintage players. And it's kind of that, when's the best time to go get these guys? It's now. I mean, if you're thinking about starting a vintage collection or wanting to get into it, but don't want to pay all the crazy prices for the Hank Aarons and Willie Mays and Mickey Mantles, I totally get it. I, I get it. But there are guys out there you can go look at that had great careers and contributed a lot to baseball and have wonderful cardboard that you can still get at at least reasonable prices. So take a look at those again, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching on YouTube. If you're watching, listening on the podcast, go check out all the other stuff at bench clear. We really appreciate you guys. And uh, yeah, that's it for today. So till next time for part two, keep collecting. <laughs>